It's funny how money changes situation. Miscommunication lead to complication. My emancipation don't put your equation. I was on the humble you on every station. Hello, welcome. Thanks for listening to On Resistance Radio. We are a horizontal collective coming out of Los Angeles. Our topic today is going to be art and the resistance. And so we're going to start with the question, how do people feel about artists as participants or what their role is in the resistance and creating resistance culture? Artists have a very important role in regards to resistance. I think just because we live in a capitalist system, artists usually become compromised and Especially when you think of like who gets to like have like being artists is I don't know if you're a paid artist it's extremely privileged thing to be able to do um, so if you are able to be paid for your art then yeah I think you should be doing some sort of subversive propaganda. I feel like the title it's like a lot of people are trying to fight for this title of artists when the sad thing is a lot of people have the capacity to create but they don't think that they are artists or I think writers are artists I think people who might even create theory though it is using a particular side of your brain I feel like they are artists too just when it comes to how this particular tool that humans have created in order to express themselves it is very powerful and i feel it's like anything that we create really we talked about language on another show and how this is a tool that can be used to either manipulate or liberate and i feel the same way about art if artists aren't coming from a place of using their art to either reflect their current circumstance or to empower then what is the work that they're doing we talked about media and what this the work that the media does what is the work that these constant representations of certain black bodies produced by white people, what does that do to blackness? So I think that artists have a huge role when it comes to creating or helping to propagate that resistance culture because it does kind of supersede all these differences that people have and it can affect people very deeply. I often feel that art can be a very personal, reflective process but then it can also go into the realm of being for external purposes, for like promotion purposes or for promotion of capital purposes. So it kind of makes me think of like in this capitalist society, what's the difference between art and entertainment? By all means, we should entertain ourselves with our art and together. But a lot of the times entertainment becomes about appealing to that white liberal gaze or washing down a lot of representations of history through art or taking away from that reflective process, encouraging creativity and decentralizing art and taking it away from something of status. Because if you're an artist, you reach a certain status, you begin to become marketing for the corporations or for something else. So it kind of leaves the realm of personal and collective empowerment and becomes about structural like empowerment or, or protection of the structural system. So I think decentralizing art, it's a tool. Um, it's something that we can access um, in an empowering way that supports resistance culture or breaks from dominant culture. And a lot of the times that kind of imagination is stolen from people and people are kind of divided into labels based on our current capitalist labor model, which is only people who want to suffer in poverty, like choose to be artists, or they choose to make it by catering their art to certain um, specific types of knowledge or types of reality.
What are some ways that we've seen art represented in ways that either undermine or empower resistance culture? There is a lot of really great art that I've seen that really strikes a nerve in terms of something, an image that can be used to empower. I know that I struggle with making art that is empowering versus creating images that might be just reflecting what people are currently going through. And I think that for me, to critique myself, I feel like if I'm going to make imagery that is very widespread, that is something that is reflecting the current state of what we're going through, and people see that over and over, that image over and over again, I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm doing work that empowers people. I feel like I might be, you know, just buying into the fact that and replicating the fact that we are oppressed people. So I really have to like, it's my expression, you know? So sometimes I'll just, I'll make a piece every once in a while just because I feel it needs to be made and I'm compelled to do it. But then when I look at it, I'm like, this isn't something that I would look at and be empowered by this. But sometimes I do create images that I feel are empowering. I guess there's a difference. There's the visual and then there's the auditory with artists who are musicians and artists who are poets, because you have such control over your words and you're receiving information in a different way, it can be easier to convey the message when you're using auditory language. When it comes to actual imagery, there's so much socializations. I've been meeting with some people who have participated with Black Lives Matter, and it's like a study group, and we were reading some Hortense Spillers, and Spillers talks about symbolic order and what symbolic order means in terms of being born into a world where the symbology is already established. These kind of representations were being born into an image of blackness being evil or bad and whiteness being light and pure. And I feel like in order to break that symbolic order, you really should look at how you want to actually represent yourself and not replicate the dominant symbolic order. I try to understand art through, yeah, the mutual process of how it's being perceived by those who experience it versus how it's being experienced by those that are creating it. Because I feel like art can do multiple things for different people and, like, there's... We've had this conversation about the intent of the art, and so I feel like people's intent can be to undermine dominant culture, but the mediums that we have are created through dominant culture, so a lot of the times it touches on some matters but uses some sort of language that might harm other people. So in the movement, I think art has been really helpful because we've tried to make it more accessible, and we've tried to say that it is it is everything. It's writing, it's poetry, it's playing collective games where we create stories together to pass the time, or even just sitting and, and talking and examining the art that we see on display in billboards, or what, what kind of artistry is represented as valid within the hierarchy, and what kind of artistry is kind of ignored as as not valid. But it also makes you think about the role of propaganda in the movement and kind of, I started using the word propaganda because I began to recognize that most everything around me is also propaganda and it's not just expressive, it serves particular needs and the needs that are being served by this dominant culture are the the needs of white supremacy and dominant male supremacy and erasure of trans women and black struggle and communities of color and you can go from there 
propaganda to transgress that, I think, is really important. And I also think I don't want to shy from this word propaganda because I think it is a tool that we can use. By propaganda, I guess I mean using art deliberately to agitate the conditions and the dominant way that art is already kind of manipulating the the conditions. Mm. I feel like I've seen it undermined a lot in just like television shows or being background, being a protester for scenes that were Mm. supposed to recreate, you know, riots. And usually what I've seen is the sort of oversimplification of like why people are protesting. The way that a lot of the media has portrayed the protester has kind of been to undermine it. The media also plays in a role in which how art then goes and reflects uh, the resistance. And then so then art goes and sort of uh, reinforces that by depicting that sort of imagery and throughout all different sort of television shows and movies. If you are an artist, your intention is to sort of connect with people and also you're just sort of practicing some self-care then I feel like it will be empowering because there's a sort of, like, raw honesty that's there. I see a lot of art on Tumblr, people creating, like, graphic arts or paintings and, like, comics and poetry or writing or music or songs and um, or photography. It's really empowering to see people willing to share a part of themselves with you, whether or not the intention was to make it necessarily politically empowering. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lot I wanted to respond to with what you were saying. I think about what Tori K. Benbara says, the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Are all artists doing that? And is that what she signified what an artist was? Someone whose role was to make this, help propagate this kind of revolution into into being, whether it be depicting these ways of uh, escapism from the horrors of our current, you know, what we're currently living in, or showing ways that we actually struggle. I feel very lucky to have lived in a family that was very arty, and my family has, like a lot of Black families, have been through a lot, and there was always that art that we would always defer to when there was awful things that would go down and that's a common thing for a lot of artists. There is this kind of push to be an influential artist out there, and a lot of people want to get their name out there, and a lot of people do, and it's kind of hard when you are looking at the creative class and all they're doing is they might speak to or give lip service to a particular struggle, but they're rich. They have all of these funds. They profited off of sometimes not even their own struggle, and... They're very appreciated about it. It's hard when you see see it happen that way when people aren't necessarily giving back to that particular struggle that they're profiting off of. I saw a lot of the, those artists come out after the 92 rebellion. A lot of white artists came out with all these art pieces. We went to that that interview where a guy had a, he had painted a baton on fire after the 92 rebellion. Went to another art installation I forget her name. She's this popular white feminist who created this art installation where all these people took these jars and they stuffed like trinkets into these jars from like something that meant something to them during the 92 rebellion. And they all brought them to this space. And like I asked her, I was just like, do you think what have you like really given back to the community that that happened to, you know, what? 
were you there? Were you rebelling with them? And a lot of these artists, they're not. And that's hard to see. But I feel like a lot of, you know, show me a queer trans person of color that doesn't express themselves in these ways. It's part of their suffering. Part of their suffering is living very, very marginalized, doubting a lot of what they're doing. And that I feel like that does fuel the need to put these ideas and these representations out there. I just like critical of those images because sometimes I think of movies like Selma. I saw the movie and directors, they say they're artists. Directors are like, we got to do, you know, the writing. There's writing, there's screenplay, there's cinematography. We got to do it all. We're artists. We're truly artists. But when I look at movies like Selma, I can't, I can't really predict the intention of, of the director, but I can look at the work that it does. And when I look at the work that it does, I see that it demonizes black militancy. It allows white presidents and white people and even Martin Luther King himself to talk badly about other black revolutionaries and demonize militancy and didn't have any depth with a lot of the women characters. And I just didn't see, you know, I didn't. It was written by a white man too. And then after I found that out, I was like, that explains so (laughs) much. That really does. Because I was just wondering how can this, this black woman really be responsible for this work. I, I was I was really surprised to find out that oh, okay, yeah, it is it is a representation. That narrative, that authorship is provided by this white person who is using this black woman to filter it to her best extent. I'm gonna kinda go back a little bit to the creative class and this entire grouping, especially in Los Angeles, that kind of comes out, especially when there's social movements. Uh, and plays a very specific role where they offer their skills or their time or just by showing up, if they're celebrities, they kind of lend their social capital, but they do it on certain terms. So that is not just being peaceful, but proclaiming you're peaceful and ignoring cop violence a lot of the times. And that happened a lot with Occupy, where actually towards the end, there was this meeting in this house and it was a couple main people that had been around during Occupy that had, of course, disappeared once the camp was announced to be um, taken down and there were still people on the streets. And they were pitching some sort of hard block campaign mm. to, and they were selling T-shirts. And so what happens is a lot of the times the people actually experiencing these conditions, something happens at the tipping point that allows them to express their anger in a more collective way. Um, because I feel like if there's other people, then you feel more supported and being more expressive. Um, And then when that happens, the creative class comes in, and because they're so far removed from the actual struggle, they just are very qualified to present their analysis in, like, a very removed, like, polite way. And so the media flocks to them, and so then this, like, group of people that are removed that, you know, are misrepresenting the conditions and the problem and, and usually supporting some sort of establishment solution or party, they get the privilege of using their privilege and representing the struggle and diluting it. And that does a lot for the state. It's literally the path serves co-optation by the state when people that are removed from the struggle get those positions to analyze it. So that's basically all of your news media, (laughs) for the most part, and has a lot to do with credibility. So I think that art is 
really important, but certain people with certain class privilege will manipulate that to misrepresent the movement, and that actually does harm to the movement, and it actually erases a lot of the art that people in the movement do. For example, street art, which is not sanctioned by the state. For example, in LA, Ezel Ford shot dead by police. There's a growing movement. They're disrupting things. They're demanding accountability from Jackie Lacey, the DA. I heard they shut a couple meetings with her down. And so the rapper, Sibo, uh, mm-hmm. I believe, yeah. is now in jail, right? 17 years. 17 years in jail. And they're saying it's not because <clears throat> of his art, but once he started making rap videos about specifically Ezel Ford's murder, he was targeted by police and they trumped him up on some offense in Pomona. They did something called the field identification where they walk up to someone and they handcuff him and they bring the person to him and are like, is this the person that did it? So it's very unprofessional, right? It's basically the police practically framing someone. They bring you someone in cuffs, they're already criminalized, and then they just want someone to confirm that. So now he's in jail for 17 years. So art that is considered illegitimate by the state doesn't get represented as art. It gets criminalized. And then art that is represented as legitimate by people with status or with titles or part of the creative class, they get to represent the movement with little to no consequences when the movement is repressed. So that's convenient. Yeah, I'm really surprised that the Black Lives Matter movement, the Occupy LAPD, which I have a lot of feelings about that, considering I do have a lot of indigenous comrades who aren't coming simply because of the name, as well as being in the belly of the beast. And there's so much surveillance and they're just, you know, tracking everyone's everything. But there's a lot of really fantastic art, uh, chalk art that we're seeing on the sidewalks that's just washed away daily. But I'm surprised that their response to the chalk wasn't that of in 2012, was it? Or yeah, when chalking was pretty much criminalized, especially after people started politicizing their messages. It was criminalized. People started chalking in front of the Central Cities Association to bring awareness about the gentrification that it was pushing throughout LA. And it was basically, people were calling that building out as, you know, this is our, this is LA's Wall Street. We should be targeting this as something that is a really awful lobbying group that is providing all of this funding for gentrification. But as soon as we started pointing that out and making our messages political and writing on the street with Chuck, we were met with so much repression. It was very much criminalized and when we would tell people we would warn people hey just to let you know that chalking sidewalk chalk that you buy from your local store if you draw on the sidewalk you're gonna get beaten (laughs) and you're gonna get arrested people looked at us like we were not from this world they were just like whoa that's impossible And sure enough, they would ride on the sidewalk and they would promptly be arrested um, no matter what they wrote. And I'm just I'm just wondering about that kind of change of selective enforcement with with this particular social movement. Are they worried about the response to that? Because I feel like if if there was a response just like that one, since this is such a well-connected movement against white supremacy and anti-blackness, I feel like it would be recognized and it would spark that discussion on like repressing people's artwork as fascism. That has happened before, but it's happened in increments. So people are like, oh, it's can't be fascism when it's in increments or intervals. It's like, well, it's not exactly freedom either. I think after Chalk Walk, the big uh, chalking 
in downtown LA for Art Walk that went happened, and after all the media that happened with that, and then it started to, like, national solidarity actions happen, I think it just showed how ridiculous it was, and then it kind of made it, like, impossible for them to continue, like, prosecuting. Mm. So I think, what, didn't all the charges for talking get dropped? It would be pretty ridiculous for them to, yeah. to do anything like that. I think just on the subject of art and gentrification, I think that it's important to really talk about, especially with budding artists, because just in a lot of different discussions that I've taken part in, that I've tried to facilitate having these conversations of discussing what art is to gentrification and how art can be used to help amplify gentrification in certain areas, I feel like that is a discussion that should be continued to be talked about because a lot of these hipster artists, they're very down to to create this art and it attracts a certain demographic to an area. It's already kind of an, an already gentrified area and then it attracts middle to upper class, usually white people to buy this art. There's a lot of different spaces that open up that are wanting to be art spaces, artists in residence. And then there you have your root of gentrification. And then of course, since that, is being uh, spotlighted by developers, of course, they're going to throw a gang injunction to that area. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Like art can be used sometimes in very capitalist ways and can displace a lot of people of color within those areas. Well, artists are usually like the first wave gentrifiers, Mm. especially in Los Angeles. A lot of people from across the country coming to make it in Hollywood or whatnot. So, um, and usually you're not, making that much money so you're trying to live in a more poor area and then there you go and then it starts to become a cooler place because these young artist type are living there so Mm -hmm. more people want to end up living there we've talked a lot on our shows about this term called fascism and the fact that we're living under fascism and that a lot of people talk about how this country, if we don't meet this, this, and this, it's going to become fascist. And, you know, I think we, we did a show on fascism where we talked about how actually the ideology of fascism was practiced here in the United States before it was exported to Germany and then kind of refined by Hitler and also by Israel to some degree in the war on the mm-hmm. Palestinians. And through the development of those technologies, we've done a show. I think that was that same show. It was Militarization Domestic and Abroad. We talked about the LAPD and local law enforcement going to those and having a reciprocal relationship with countries like Israel to take that fascist technology and come back and continue to perfect their war on communities of color, on black and brown communities here. So how does fascism interact with art? Normalized militarization, um, the surveillance state, uh, the constant violence. If you watch what people like, what's on TV, like just basic cable, it's you're you know it's kind of like it's shocking that this mm-hmm. is actually like what is being shown. <laughs> it is to just distract and sort of just put people in these like zone like so they're just used to seeing these certain images, and and I think that's why we should be very aware in what we take in. And, and I think that's why, you know, the Hollywood isn't doing well in a capitalist financial way. They're not making money because their art sucks and no one wants to go see their stupid <laughs> movies and they're not funny and they're not creative and they're boring. They kept doing the same boring, same movies over and over again. And it's because we're living under such fascist presence. Fascism and capitalism is not the place for art. And so if you're in the industry of commodifying art, 
then those two things are going to like actually work against you. And what you're seeing is art having to take place in other places. And now that's why there's so much trying to figure out what to do with the internet, because they're trying to figure out how to get control over the art that's taking place there. When we hear about SOPA and all these different uh, mm. internet legislation that's coming out, it's really Hollywood that is really trying to figure out how they're going to combat the YouTube generation, Tumblrs, and people just being able to produce it directly to the people without having to go through their sort of filtering. I feel like the art that I am seeing as mainstream, it's really very coded in in nationalism and patriarchy and white supremacy. I feel like as people who might want to be breakers of that particular symbolic order, I feel that their role is to disrupt that by providing, like you said, a kind of active spectatorship where we're not passive spectators. We're, we're actively looking at these things and not letting it soak in. Because I know that we live in a world where if people see enough criminalized representations or demonized representations of something that they identify with in this society, that does a lot on their psyches to either wear them down or um, subordinate them. So you have different artists who collaborate together to often weaponize their own representations to provide a kind of a comfort for people who do normally see representations of themselves that are subordinating and oppressed. And I feel that that's very helpful for different artists and writers to, to do that. When I look at how art and fascism relate to each other, I think about the symbol of the American flag. It's everywhere. And that does help tend to this very nationalist, patriotic propaganda. It's all over the place. And it's also really offensive to people who have been living in this land that is occupied, that colonizers came in and occupied it. There isn't any real sensitivity to that. It's just kind of shoving this patriotism down certain people's throats. And so when I think about that relationship, I think about how art is dangerous in terms of those, those representations. It's not a fair, it's not a level playing field. I'm not creating all of these ads and these advertisements and these these things that are going out there that people are literally consuming. When you consume so much of this media and these images, what is that, what is that consistently doing to other people's psyches? So I think providing that disruption or that paradigm shift with, with our own imagery and not giving in to the the affluence that a lot of these other artists are kind of consumed by. There's so many different artists that start off really, really connected to movement people and move social movement work, but then get kind of bought out. <laughs> that happens to a lot of people. I mean, people do it. That happens to people who become politicians who were rad, but like then they have to maintain that that particular title. And it's like getting caught up in that hierarchical title. Don't want to lose that. When I think about fascism, what I was taught fascism, I totally believe in reinterpreting fascism to make it relevant to our current times. I think that's what goes into a lot of people ignoring that this is fascism. Or maybe it's not ignoring, maybe it's seeing it, but it being so terrifying and us being so surrounded by the narrative of fascism that 
we have difficulty naming it because I think we have to name it also first to know what we're fighting. But if you look at the, like people were saying, cable TV or mainstream popular media, I'm just going to name some shows. Um, (laughs) (laughs) House of Cards, um, Scandal, even like things like NCIS, SVU, SVU. They all do different work in terms of representation. But in terms of what is acceptable, what, what goes on in those shows that is acceptable is United States terrorism. Uh-huh. Through all those shows, when you talk about patriotism and nationalism, what that leads to is terrorism on black and brown communities here and overseas. In these shows, we see the normalization of it. We see the justification of it. We see we're consuming it with our eyes and someone put their creative labor into that. And maybe that was their art through their creative labor under capitalism but the narrative it's serving is fascism. And so mm. fascism wants the popular support of the people, whether it's reactionary support. Something happens in a lot of these media forums, these shows, they're all about creating cultures of fear and dependence on the state. So what I can connect it to is all of the fear and terror surrounding 9-11 and how since then I can really document in my head, I was really young, but like a shift in the rhetoric about fear-mongering and demonization and Islamophobia and racism and all this stuff that kind of works together to create the world we have now where we're not talking maybe so directly about those things, but they're being represented in our media on all sides. And the media, the art that someone participated in that is now just some sort of entertainment manipulated by the fascist state, because if you check out our Hollywood Industrial Complex show, we talk about how different enforcement agencies have liaison offices with Hollywood, and there's a total Hollywood Industrial Complex and military industrial complex. The media is largely responsible for, I think, how we view violence and what we view as acceptable violence, because there's always a white male pro-antagonist, you know, someone that is violent and abusive and does torture someone, but that is somehow always seen as justifiable. Yet when black youth are responding in the street to real terrorism, real lived terrorism, we're worried about windows all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But the the media images we're consuming, we're not worried about anything. You know, things are blowing up. Helicopters are being taken down. And the media has us apologizing and loving people that are in the military that enact state violence for the state, for the purposes of protecting profit in the government, people that murder for the state. Yet at the same time, in our communities here on the streets, we have people that are responding to their conditions of poverty with hierarchy and violence. And those people are criminalized. And we're taught in in popular media that these people in street organizations should be demonized and should be imprisoned. Yet we're glorifying military soldiers. Uh And so we see these contrasted kind of really hypocritical representations of people in the media that teach us who to love and teach us who to hate and teach us to, you know, always justify the role of the police and always blame, like, people that are being targeted by the police. So that's a whole mess. But I do think countermedia is important. And I do think that creative labor is important. Um, And I do think that's why social media and, like the comrade said, Tumblr, has really decentralized a lot of the platforms by which we can express ourselves and reach more people with honest, raw, unfiltered emotion um, that isn't being put into some box to be presented to some executive to be then funded. We've undermined that process of needing mm. to get art funded. Not saying that people shouldn't be rewarded for their labor under capitalism, because a lot of people that need it aren't. But okay. in terms of decentralizing media, this is why the cops are so threatened by us posting anti-cop rants. Because the social media study came out saying that social media actually does affect people's emotions. 
And so now the cops are like, oh, you're talking bad about us online. Like, we're really sad about that. Because they recognize that the decentralized nature, the expression, the rant, the poetry, the, the writing, that is actually a threat. Art is good, I think, because the resistance will be repressed and it's good to document things and it's good to express yourself and to cope. But it's also powerful to agitate and to reinterpret what's happening and put out something that might be provocative to the people that are like trying to make profit and like follow a certain line and demonize and glorify certain people in our society. But it helps us stay alive and helps us cope and it helps us agitate. It also just made me think of recently Just Sweet Charlie. John Stewart came out with something and said, being funny shouldn't be a heroic thing. And they don't understand that, like, as a white person, your comedy is oppressive. Your comedy has power. You think that you can just sort of make jokes. No, because you have this institutional power and your, your jokes actually carry weight. Your jokes actually murder. Your jokes actually, you know, rape. The major footprint of art is whiteness, is white culture, is, like, white words, is white paintings. And, and because of that, white people should stop. <laughs> like, they should stop publishing. I'm dead serious. They should stop publishing their art. I think people, white people should start stop publishing their words because that is all that we see. We know we will have a good representation of what white culture felt and thought, but we will have to dig and try to search to find what other cultures art is. And then now, because of appropriation, we'll have to dig even harder to find out what was originally from that culture. For the artists that might be listening, black artists, boycott the Grammys. You should not go because you know they're going to give Iggy that award for Best Rapper. (laughs) And so I don't understand why people still keep going to these things. Like, you need to boycott these award shows because they do not serve you. They're not for you. They're just only to continue to, like empower white supremacy. I really do think, though, we need more non-white artists. It's really hard to see people struggle being a lot of other people making profit off of other people's struggles. It's hard to see that. And a lot of the the things that I I feel like, yeah, I'm seeing consistently is, is just that, you know, I don't, I would hate it if the things I was putting out or my ideas are just regurgitated by somebody who isn't at all near any of the intersecting identities that I encompass and profiting off of that. But it's it's already happening. Thank you so much for <laughs> hanging out with us as we discussed Art and the Resistance. For the full hour show, check out our SoundCloud, www.soundcloud.com slash on-resistance. We have a Tumblr on resistanceradio.tumblr.com. We're on Facebook. We also do some in-person things. And so if you're an impacted person that's involved in the struggle, check out our Facebook, see what we're doing. Thanks. Thank you. And I guess we should do what Tony K. Bambara says, but go further and decentralize the role, that very role of artists.